morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. If you are up early on a Labor Day holiday morning, I'm sorry. But we're here for you. We're here for you because... Even though it's a holiday, BYU plays tonight, so we're live and local all day long. BYU and Navy tonight, 6 o'clock, ESPN. It's the Monday night football time slot. It's the season opener against a a defense that's supposed to be very good. Against a senior quarterback who's supposed to throw the ball better than the average Navy quarterback. It's going to put some pressure on the defensive backfield and on the linebackers who are in pass coverage. Uh, Zane Anderson, a former linebacker, Turn safety as the Cougars get ready for the opener with Navy. Listen in. Here's Zane with the media. Zane, I, I just asked Troy the, this question, but I'm curious, you know, how do you feel about the, the chemistry between you and Troy on the back end of this defense this year? Um, I feel really good about it. Um, I think we've really come together this year, especially, and I feel like we've grown our brotherhood. And so um, I feel really good when we're in together. And it's just kind of one of those things when we're out together, like you just know you're going to be on point, and you feel that with a lot of guys. Zane, I wanted to ask you about your shoulder. Obviously, you've undergone multiple surgeries on it. How is it feeling, and how are you feeling heading into this game six days out? I'm feeling good. Um, feeling confident, and uh, we've been tackling and stuff, and it's felt really good. And so I think just going through those tackling motions and um, taking things down, it really helps me with my confidence, um, knowing that I can tackle without feeling any pain. And last year, I felt a little pain when I would tackle, and, and so just kind of knowing I've been through it, and it feels really good, and so I have confidence that it feels good. And I wanted to go. I asked Troy this as well, but I wanted to ask you in terms of your role as a defensive back going into a game like this against an option offense that Navy runs, how different is your role in this game as compared to maybe a regular matchup against a spread or a pro style team? It's definitely different. And I think especially it's just kind of a different mindset. You got to flip the switch. Um, this is a really, really physical team. And you also have to flip the switch with your to really good keys. Um, really disciplined and really physical. And I think just knowing that before and uh, just flipping that switch when it comes game time is going to be big. Zane, Troy said that it's emotional for him to talk about Matt having, you know, lost Matt for the season. And you've experienced that. And, you know, that changes your perspective when you experience that type of devastating injury or those type of experiences. What's it like for you when you see a friend like a Matt or, you know, or, or, or any of the guys go down after you'd been through that yourself? It really kind of puts a pain in your stomach. Um, you feel for them. You feel for his wife, Emily. You just feel for everyone in the family because you see how hard these guys work. And, um, you know, you go through it. And, and I don't think a lot of people know what it's like to go down for with for the whole season or, or for an injury. And, and when you go through it, you feel the pain with them. And so just seeing him down yesterday, you know, it puts a pain in your stomach. And all last night I was thinking about it. And, yeah, it, it makes me sick. And I hate seeing stuff like that, especially with their own guys. Hey, Zane, how would you sum up the last couple of months emotionally for you and the team going from where it looked like you wouldn't have anybody to play to now playing as the only team in the West and on national television Monday night? Yeah, it's been it's been honestly like a roller coaster. I think for a while there it was day by day. Conferences were closing. Um, if you weren't in a conference, you were going to play. And so it's kind of been a roller coaster. But um, I think it's it's just I think we've all kind of grown and just it's, it's a huge opportunity um, where they want only schools on the West that's playing. 
Um, a lot of eyes are on us. And so um, and we, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. And I, especially as seniors, um, being able to have a season, doesn't matter who we're facing, we're just grateful to play. And so um, it's definitely been a roller coaster, but it's been the same goal the whole time is just um, day by day, taking things day by day and um, just expecting and hoping we're playing someone. And so we're blessed to be able to play someone game one. And I wanted to ask you about those kind of unique names on the depth chart, Rover and Cinco and uh, I think Jack. And who came up with those? And do you guys really use those when you're out on the field referring to those positions? Um, I don't know who came up with those. Um, probably Coach Lamb, um, Tuyaki. Those are probably some of the guys. And I think from Kalani's defense as well. And so, um, yeah, those are definitely positions that are, we're, we're using out there. And uh, it, it's kind of different than the past, but um, we're expecting all the, a lot of those guys to be playing in different packages. Same when you bring up the past, uh, you've seen it all in your BYU career. Where do you see the biggest growth from day one of camp to now here in game week, getting ready for game one? Um, kind of what we talked about earlier is just the chemistry um, with everyone um, kind of tuning in to what we're doing and disguises and just everyone on the same page has been huge from day one to now. And I think that's going to carry on throughout the season is the chemistry we play with each other um, and just the intent we're out there. Um, we know when someone's on the field, all right, let's go um, turning that on. And so I feel like that's a big difference um, from day, day one to now. And then just scheme wise, we're, we're really locked in on what we're doing. Um, I think everyone's on the same page and ready to go. There's BYU Zane Anderson talking about the Cougars and kicking off the season and the game with Navy tonight. Now, here's wide receiver Dax Milne. Dax, with the, the loss of Matt Bushman, the injury, does do you and the rest of the receivers uh, maybe feel a little more pressure to, to perform or to make plays on Monday? Um, I wouldn't use the word pressured, but definitely um, more aware that we need to uh, fill in uh, kind of the role that that Matt was was in, and we're kind of using different guys that, um, for different plays that Matt was kind of a key part of, and and we we're already going into it planning on making plays, but it's just yeah, just a another uh, point of motivation for us. Hey Dax, I know your uh, roommates with Zach and some of the other guys. Can you kind of describe what it's been like in that room as you guys have gone to maybe not having opponents to play, maybe not even having a season, to now you're literally days away from playing on national television as kind of the only team playing in the West? Yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster for us in our house. And um, I remember back in quarantine, we'd always go back and forth, like kind of debating whether or not we're going to have a season. and. And I know uh, sometimes it actually did look like we weren't, we weren't, and all of us were pretty bummed. I know, especially Zach, because uh, you know we've all worked so hard for for this season, and I think we're all just super happy that we're going to be able to show out for the for the west side of the country. How in sync do you feel right now in terms of the receiving core and Zach? How in sync do you feel like the offense is heading into game one? I'm feeling uh, really good about our all of our timing and on all the plays that we have. It's it's been a process. Uh, definitely didn't have it all um, first couple weeks of like fall camp and stuff. But uh, today in practice, we're we're clicking on all levels, and I'm I'm confident um, for for the game on Monday. Yeah, Dax. Uh- I'm kind of curious, you touched on a little bit ago about the, the work that you guys are putting in. I'm curious, this is your first start coming up on Monday since I think the 
2018 Utah State game. Just maybe can you describe the the work that you've put into your game from your freshman year to now where you look to be a guy that's going to be a key contributor in this offense? Yeah, uh, I definitely uh, hang my hat on the work that I've done. I, I, you, know, you can always do more work and going into it never um, never get satisfied. But through the summer, I've whether it's with Zach and, and other receivers or by myself, I've just really made it a point to just get better on uh, certain weaknesses that I thought personally I've had. And and I, I know I knew going into this season that it, I'd have to fill a big role with the, the three seniors that left from last year. And and uh, I'm, I'm feeling ready. Yeah, Dex, I wanted to ask you, in terms of this defense you're going up against on Monday, uh, Coach Grimes talked about the fact that they're not afraid to go with zero coverage, blitzes, and all kinds of aggressive different things. What do you expect to see on Monday from them? Um, yeah, I've been watching a lot of film, and you're right, they're definitely not afraid to to blitz and uh, go cover zero. And But they do have a... T- uh, a good mix of, of other coverage as well. I I just expect those those guys to just be uh, mentally tough and physically tough. And I know that they're. I think last year they were like pretty high ranked with uh, forcing turnovers. So I expect those guys to be you know trying to strip the ball any chance they can and and just being uh, really aggressive and tough. So we'll be ready. Dax, knowing that Zach was coming out shoulder surgery last year, uh, what differences have you seen? in him what he's been able to do during fall camp and what you hope he'll be able to do uh, starting Monday for the rest of the season? Um, I personally noticed um, a confidence change. He's always been a confident guy, but uh, last year, especially towards the beginning of the season last year, he's he was a little bit hesitant on, you know, airing it out all the time and didn't want to, like, you know, throw out his shoulder. Or, um, but now it's it's like – nothing's holding him back he's he's ready to make any sort of throw that he needs to given the play and and he's gonna be he's gonna do great this season Dax uh, I'm curious from your film study of this Navy defense does their secondary remind you of any other team that maybe you faced during your career here at BYU um I I would I'd compare them to their style is sort of uh, like I think I remember it was Tennessee last year. Uh, a lot of quarters, um, yeah. Just just the certain styles they play a lot of quarters and zero, and so I, I'd, I'd compare it to like team like that. All right, there are a couple of the Code Cougar players, Zane Anderson and Dax Mill, talking about the game tonight with Navy. And we'll talk to Quinn Copeland, former AP sports writer here in Utah, now working for the Washington Post. He covers Navy. He'll tell you all about the midshipmen coming up. But next, we're putting a wrap on the jazz season with the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. 
Time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. Hello. How's the greatness of the morning doing? (laughs) Special on my end. Uh, PK's been on fire. Oh, good. (laughs) Did you know that uh, Navy is surrounded by a wall and their players are in a bubble, unable to leave campus? The gates have armed guards and the the orders, you know, they get disciplined and they get some military. You can order people what to do. And they've ordered them to stay on campus. Wow. Did you know the wall was... uh, who built the wall, PK? Be careful, because I, I don't know that he likes political jokes, but I said that the wall was built by Trump, and he made the uh, he made West Point pay for it. He did. Okay. <laughs> West Point might have done what Mexico's doing, which is building the wall themselves to protect themselves from the outside world. Yeah, keep Navy in, right? Right. Army-Navy rivalry. Talk to my father-in-law about that sometime. He's a Naval Academy. One. He's a Naval Academy a ge- grad. He's into that kind of it's thing. A ge- it's a game I'd like to go to at some point in my life. It's probably on my bucket list of sporting events. I would agree. So, the Utah Jazz season is done. Put a wrap on it. It's in the books. It's all over. What do you think Quinn Snyder learned, and how will this team change going forward? You know what? I think it's the most interesting aspect of team building right now is like how do you evaluate the bubble right so such a different environment different players reacted to it different ways some players were really comfortable some players weren't um how you know the games were very different not home not road um just just such a different i i'm just really curious as we pull back from this um, like if Toronto was down three zero right now, do they like? If, there's no way Toronto like would have been down, and there's no way, frankly, Milwaukee would be down two zero if we were back in the regular world. Like it just wouldn't be. There was no way. And so, how do you? And I frankly think there's no chance that the Jazz would have been up three one, and there's no chance the Jazz would have lost a three one lead. Um, so how do how do you evaluate? what took place in a unique environment that I don't think we'll do again, or at least not long enough that it's worth team building for. So I don't know. I think that's the most, you know, interesting aspect to me of this from, from both sides. And I think you can make a lot of really, really, really big personnel decision mistakes when you use one playoff series against the same team where a matchup might be either good or bad for you as your sample size for making decisions. And usually it's, you know, the Sonic signing Calvin Booth or the Knicks signing Jerome James because they happen to get a matchup that worked for them and they were much better than they actually are as a player. And then you get them for 82 games and they're not that good. You could do it the other way too, where someone has a bad matchup and doesn't play well and you devalue all they did for their regular season. I think that's a mistake. Okay. I mean, I can, I can, I don't know necessarily know I agree with it 100%, but I can see the line of thinking where you're going. My thought for you is can we conclude that Donovan Mitchell, based on what we saw and what we've seen, not just what we saw, but what we've seen, which means it extends beyond the bubble, that he has the capability to be first team all NBA? 
Um, you know, first team All NBA is a pretty high level. Yes. Um, so I'd have to start doing the math. I mean, right now you've got Luca that probably has a spot ahead of him, and and you know, that's gonna. It's just that's a really crowded spot, right? So Dame and Luca are there right now. So I, I think that's an awfully hard spot to get to. Um, but I do think that you know Donovan's for play in the bubble actually matched a fairly natural progression just five months later. Like, guys get better as they get older. We've just never played in September before. Um, but if you think about, you know, he's five months more advanced than he was in March, that makes sense. Um, so I think, you know, his his level of play was congruent to what, if all went well, his growth would be. So I think there's a legitimacy to what you're seeing because you're actually basing it off what you've seen before and how he was progressing. But how so also, uh, you know, also, too, about ownership of the team, which extends beyond yeah, I, the actual play. So, so from a team-building standpoint, I was trying to think of, like, what's most different than 16 months ago. And I think what's most different from 16 months ago to now is how comfortable you are with Donovan Mitchell with the ball in his hands. After the Houston series, I don't think you were particularly comfortable deciding that Donovan Mitchell – was going to be your primary ball handler for the season last year. That was not a good series, not great decision-making. He just – it's not a position he's actually never been you – know, I, don't, I don't call it a point guard because I think that he's kind of gone, particularly in our system, where we run multiple different players with pick-and-rolls. So at that point, 16 months ago, I think you still thought, we better have a primary ball handler and relieve that burden of Donovan in his development. I think it was right. Um, now – 16 months later, I'm pretty comfortable if Donovan becomes the primary ball handler and think that's actually part of his natural development. I did not want to lead the witness, but that is exactly what I wanted to get to. Do they need going forward? And, well, it's a question for the front office. Uh, you know, as contracts expire and, you know, next summer there'll be a chance. But before we get to Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, the front office team, what they're going to do, just going forward next year, does Quinn stay with the – we got three guys who can run pick and rolls at a really high level, and they're each going to have the ball a share of the time, and we're going to find the worst, def- the best matchup and attack that and not worry which one of the three guys it is necessarily. We'll probably have two of the three on the court at all time and, and then three of them to close a game. Uh, or is it Donovan is always a mismatch – Maybe the other guys don't have the ball as much and become more spot-up shooters, but Donovan's running the pick-and-roll, at least running the first pick-and-roll in every possession, and maybe just isolating and beating his guy, depending on the matchup, because you see how James Harden plays in Houston, how Steve Nash used to play in Phoenix. You know, when you have a guy who's really, really good, don't do the other team a favor and take the ball out of his hands. So, I mean, I think the two guys you're talking about are Mike Conley and Joe Ingles. Right, yeah. They both happen to be elite, elite level shooters, right? So, the scenario you just wrote out is fine. If, if just to use a former jazz player as a contrast, if you have Ricky Rubio, now you've really got a rub, right? Because Rubio's not a very good shooter, and so you'd ha- you're, if you're not letting him have the ball in his hands, then he's not as, he's not as useful. Um, both Joe and Mike are two of the best catch-and-shoot elite-level shooters in the NBA. Um, so if, in fact, you decide that instead of you know allocating the pick-and-roll 
like they did this year, which was something about 40%, 30%, 20% amongst the three of them, it's going to become 60 10, you know, 15, 15, there's just 10 pick percent of pick, pick and rolls that go to Clarkson and Boyan and everybody else. I know I'm not adding up to 100. Um, then Joe and Mike have to become comfortable with being um, catch-and-shoot guys. Um, and so that that would be, you know, that would be, a, that certainly could be a script that could be played next year, and then the two of them have to adjust to that, but they're both great at it, so it's not something that they can't do or is not in their skill set. It just would have to be whether they embrace it. I think they need to upgrade the bench. Is you think that's going to come from outside or inside? So, I mean, if we start playing the salary game, um, you know, there's two, there's two rubs that we always have in this league. So I'm going to go kind of deep philosophical if I can, PK, like, you know, be like Rene Descartes and Plato and really deep and philosophical. So basketball philosophical. So the two things you'll always hear about is one, we either need to be shooters or we need to be more athletic, right? We hear that debate between the two all the time. And so for a year, we sat around here and talked about how much we had to get better shooters. We did, and now we heard it. Now we hear everybody talking about being more athletic. And, um, and you know, I think that that's um, – and then you, when you have, you know, an athletic shooter, by the way, is an all-star. So you just don't get both. Same thing I feel about the bench. Like, yeah, I agree the bench needs to be a lot better. But if you're going to have stars and you're going to have a $30 million um, Donovan at some point here and a $30 million Rudy and a 20-some-odd million dollar Boyan and if 18 said whatever it is, Joe, and even Royce has you know, signed an extension, you actually aren't going to have money for your bench. Like, you're not. Like, I mean, maybe we can get Jordan Clarkson at some mid-level, and that's a pretty nice luxury but you're not going to have that. And then you couple that we're not a market where you can get veterans just to sign because it's Los Angeles or Miami. And we tried, like we, we took a run at Jeff green. It was totally worthwhile run. It didn't work for us. You know, Ed Davis was supposed to be that bench guy. And we spent an awful lot of money on, on a backup center for what was the best backup center in the league. And the age bug just seems to have got him at the wrong time. So we made the effort to try to do it with the bench, but it's hard. And what, and frankly, you know, Donovan's number is going to change pretty dramatically here in the next two years. So, and Rudy's number is going to change probably. So it's not, it's a hard thing to do. You to build, you know, it's, it's nice to say you got to build the bench, but when your team building is actually getting stars and Mike Conley's 30, I didn't mention. Um, and then to get those players, you're often trading first round draft picks. So you're going to have a bench gap. I mean, that's, that's the give and take that you've done. So it's, you know, I think there's some interesting – Darrell Brantley's a really kind of wild card piece to me. I don't really know what he can do, but it's pretty interesting. I don't know if it's interesting enough that I'm willing to bank on it. The coaching staff obviously believes in Jawan Morgan. Mia Oni and Rajon Tucker bring unique skills. If you can get 30 minutes a game out of those four guys next year, that's a big deal. So – Really, it shows that in the NBA, because everybody who hits on a draft pick goes through the what the Jazz go through, right? And I guess actually in the NFL too, you can go to the Seahawks and Russell Wilson was winning when he was he was very good when he was on his rookie contract in a low number. But you've always got to pay that person you hit on, so you got to hit again. I mean, the the ability to hit in the second half of the first round, which is hard, but teams do it. We can go through every draft and find a a good player or two there, and your ability to do that is critical as you get crunched because you're paying a couple stars. Right. So 
there's two big differences in your analogy. Your analogy is right, but there's a huge difference. And that is that for whatever reason, young in the NFL can win. So right. Patrick Mahomes yep. and Russell Wilson very early in their career are good enough to win. To win. Yep. And then when not being paid a lot, that's pretty awesome. And then traditionally, once they pay their quarterbacks, unless they're Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, it's really hard to win once you're paying your quarterback. Um, the difference in the NBA is that you seemingly have to have years of experience to win, right? Like even Donovan and Rudy, they'll never lose another series 3-1. Like they blew it. Like, but they hadn't, honestly, they hadn't been there before. There was unique circumstances to it. And it seems as though, I haven't talked to either of them, so I don't know, but it seems as though they blinked, right? That they just kind of, with everything going on, and they were up 15, that they just lost the, the, the vibe of the series, and Denver grabbed it, and now they've learned this terrible lesson on if you let go of the rope for a minute, it's really hard to grab back onto it in a playoff series when somebody else is desperate. And it took them pure desperation down 19 to seemingly grab back hold of that rope. Um, and that's a that's a really, really painful lesson for them right now. Um, but that's what the NBA is. Somehow, for whatever reason, young quarterbacks in the NFL can win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you hit on second-round draft picks at about 6%. So it's, that's a pretty unlikely script. I mean, if you can find a guy like our 23rd pick this year, can we get someone like what Baisley played pretty well for Oklahoma City here? Now, I don't, you know, they didn't win their series, so I don't know if that's – but, yeah, somebody who's – Somebody who can give us, you know, 15 minutes a night. And so now if you're getting 15 out of him and you're getting 30 out of some combination of the four guys I just mentioned, and now now you're said, you know, you've got to find a way to get um, somewhere around 15 times five, uh, so 75 bench minutes. So if you got Clarkson back at – 30, you know, 25 bench minutes, then you've got to find 50 bench minutes. And so if, if Rajon and Oni and uh, Morgan and Brantley can combine for 30, as I said, and you're, you're 15 out of your first round draft pick, then all of a sudden you got it done. But that's a, you know, it's a really young, inexperienced bench. But I think that's the reality when you're paying the money you're paying um, to your primary six players, seven players. And, and we're paying a lot to our primary seven players. So that's fine. That's like play your seven players, intermix them with two or three bench guys at a time and get those minutes. You would often speak of how you were down when the season would end because it would be something that was such a high with the playoff and then it was over. You'd have a little bit of a depression. I don't know if that's the right word. How are you feeling right. now? This one's actually been worse. Really? Uh, yeah. No, uh, um, maybe I just don't remember, but I always do. I usually do have that. You know, I know mental illness is real and the word depression needs to be changed to how it's used. But I do often just kind of sleep for like 24 hours and feel as though I have – nothing to do and there's a total emptiness in me um but i'm also usually exhausted and so it's like there's that element of like okay well at least we got through it this one just felt like we were just getting started um you know from a broadcast standpoint it was so different and unique and i felt like we were kind of figuring it out and then all of a sudden it was over and i just wasn't i wasn't prepared for it to be over you know contrasting the last two years when you kind of knew it was going to end so um i actually yeah i had a yeah, I mean, I got on my bike for 50 miles yesterday. That means I'm not doing well. That's just being weird. So, Well, David, we appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we will talk to you in the offseason, however long the offseason goes. I guess we can I mean, that's, save I mean, that conversation honestly, that, for another week. <laughs> right, but I think that actually, PK, that actually might be the weirdest part about this, is that Monday is Labor Day. Tuesday yeah. is when the players usually come to town. Right. I know. I was telling my wife that. (laughs) 
Like, I kind of know that, like, to this next week, like, I'll probably be sneaking down to the practice facility to try to go watch some OTAs, right? Like, yeah. and see the guy and just say hi to the guys for the first time. It gives you the semblance of, like, oh, it's all coming back together. And, right. And the other one is that kind of when you finish the season, you always can kind of look ahead and say, okay, well, you know, it's, it's April or May. And, all right, I got June, July, August, September. Yeah, okay, it's here. Yeah, you know, I just, we don't know. Like, is it January? Is it February? Is it December? Is it, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who knows? David, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, guys. There's the radio voice of the Jazz, David Locke. When we come back, Kareem Copeland, Washington Post, former Utah sports writer, former AP sports writer here in Utah, now covering Navy, and we'll talk to him about the midshipmen next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK joined now by Kareem Copeland from the Washington Post. He covers Naval Academy football, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Kareem, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What's going on? Didn't know you were going to be on radio back in Utah again, did you? Isn't it weird? <laughs> Y'all just can't get rid of me, can you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Kareem worked for the Associated Press in Utah for a while and was covering, well, when you work for AP, you cover a little bit of everything, but saw him in a lot of jazz games, college yeah. football games, that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, everything, yeah. Yep. Saw him many times. I was wondering who's a bigger export in the nation's capital, Alex Smith or Kareem Copeland? <laughs> we're going to give Alex the pass on that one. <laughs> so I'm curious we're gonna, here. We're, we're going to give him that win on that one. <laughs> I, I'm curious here. You know how it is because you lived in Utah and you know the hype for college football season. You know how everyone would go to practices. You can see some stuff. People will tell you stuff. Sometimes they tell you in the microphone. Sometimes they tell you off to the side. And, you know, you, even if you didn't hear it, you, you might hear it from another reporter who heard it. And so we kind of had a ballpark idea. Well, BYU practices are closed, and you have the Zoom, and there's no small talk before or after a Zoom call. There's just, you click leave meeting, and that's it. So there's a lot less information out there, a lot more unknowns, which in some ways is I good mean, and in some ways is bad. But I would think at Navy, you got all the same issues there with the Naval Academy? Absolutely. Same issues there. Same issues with everybody. It's, it's crazy. Um, I've been having this conversation um, multiple times. You just don't get the same the same depth in your reporting just because first off you're not there and you don't you don't feel and see that atmosphere and the little things that you know you look out for that you normally would when you know you're a reporter out covering practices and first off you don't get any of that little bit of context from just kind of observing things. Second of all, it's it's such a rigid structure on these Zoom calls that we're all on. I mean it. It's better than nothing, so I'm, I'm, I try not to complain about it. But all those little, like you said, it, it's it's not a conversation like it used to be, where kind of sometimes you're just kind of riffing with a coach, or there's a couple of reporters, there's three or four of you talking to a coach, and it's just a conversation that everybody's having. And when you're on Zoom, it's like 
question, answer. Okay, your turn to ask a question, answer. Okay, now your turn. And so it's very rigid and it has no flow to it. Um, I, I had to set up something the other day uh, for a one-on-one, in, in, and I was telling them at the time, I don't need them for a long time, but it's just like, if this was a regular practice, I would have just walked off to the side with the coach for five minutes real quick, asked a couple nuanced questions, and that would have been it. There's none of that anymore. So it's, it's, it's really hard to um, – um, it, it's really difficult to get depth, I think, in reporting. And so um, we're all trying to figure this out as we go. And um, especially with me, it's even stranger with them because – you know they're they're locked up in their own bubble up there um, at the up in Annapolis. So they've had everybody come back, um, including you know the regular midshipmen. Um, everybody's back on campus, and no one's allowed to leave. You can do that when you're the Navy because hey, you know your military installation. Uh, whereas other other universities are worried about kids, you know, going back off campus, off campus living or whatever that is. Um, Navy, everybody kind of lives in the same dormitory, and so it's been much easier for them to kind of have a self-imposed bubble. But at the same time, you know, that kind of leaves us out just kind of wondering what's going on, and, and they change practices so much to try to um, to to. to avoid spreading this coronavirus and so there's been a lot less hitting there's been everything that is normal in a football practice that has been changed they've been trying to avoid so much face-to-face um contact for instance they haven't been i think just this last week they started really tackling that's a huge concern because they've just been working on bags since they returned in july um they haven't been doing a whole lot of offensive line defensive line face-to-face work because they've been trying to avoid you know people being basically breathing in each other's faces and there's this concern that hey if one person came down with it and you've been doing all this face-to-face tackling and face-to-face blocking that you could easily wipe out an entire position or wipe out an entire uh in several starters so it's i know kind of we started talking about um you know what it's like to try to cover all this but my point is things are so different um, both on how we're doing our jobs and how they're doing their jobs, and we haven't really gotten a real glimpse of what they're doing on their end. So it's going to be really interesting to see them cut, cut out there on Monday um, in this new world and play some football when, um, quite frankly, um, I'm expecting it to be a little bit sloppy because there's been a lot of things that they just haven't been able to do. Yeah, well said. I think you really summed up what is going on or across the country, really, not just what you're doing, but really what every every media guy who's been or person, I should say, I don't mean it to be uh, gender specific, <laughs> but we've all been in that environment for years, and now it is different. It, it, it is hard, and I guess we'll see when they take the field, and it stands to reason that it would be sloppy. One of the things... One of the great things about Zoom now, anyway, is from for the out-of-town perspective, you can go on their sites and you can listen to, like, a Niamatololo speak for however long he speaks. And some of them, they've been a half hour. And, you know, you can get, from an outside perspective, you can get a little bit more. From the inside perspective, I get your point. Uh, from my perspective 
been able to listen to him and, and his coordinators talk a little bit more because you can get online and, and have that stuff. And one of the things that Ken is saying is that that with the graduation and the advancement of Malcolm Perry, that he thinks that they're going to rely more on their defense. And he believes their defense will have to carry them until the offense comes along. And he's particularly talking about a linebacker who he believes is an NFL caliber. Could you expound on that? Yeah, Diego. He led the team with um, 100 tackles last year, five and a half sacks, um, was first team all AAC. They're kind of expecting him to kind of even been um, let loose even more this year. So last year, so 2018, one of the worst defenses in the nation, um, completely turned around in 2019 when they brought in Brian Newberry, the new defensive coordinator. And so everybody was super hyped about him. He comes in um, and completely turns it around, uh, much more aggressive, much, I mean, just better in absolutely every category all the way across the board. Um, there's optimism because they've got six, six starters back. And also, in every stop that Newberry has been, year two has been an enormous jump from year one. So that's kind of why that expectation is. You know, it was already a pretty good defense last year. They're expecting it to take another step forward now that people are used to the regular base system. And now everybody can kind of, um, now you can play even more games. Now that everybody is used to that, you can, you know, you can really kind of get fancy with your scheme and things like that. However, the weird part is, like we were just talking about, you haven't been able to do the same things as you would normally because of the way practices have been changed. So we're all curious to see if you, they still make that same kind of jump um, because, you know, they're just going to be behind from what it normally would have been. However, um, yes, that's, that's by far the lead. The, the, uh, the defense needs to lead the way um, without question. Um, Dalen Morris is going to be the starting quarterback, and this is going to be his first start. He basically sat for four years. And he's, it's going to be interesting to see how that offense works. You know, they're still going to run that triple option. They're still going to be option, option. They run the heck out of the ball. But David Morris is definitely more of a passer than, um, than Malcolm Perry was last year. You know, he had some all told called Malcolm Perry basically a running back that was playing that could throw the ball at times. Well, David Morris came out of a, um, a spread system out of high school, got a strong on, um, you know, just definitely more of a pure passer, but they're still running the same scheme. So the thought is, okay, um, defense lead, still run the ball, but the hope is that once Morris gets settled, that maybe um, teams have to respect that pass a little bit more or just teams, you know, just load up against the run. Hey, he can pull it back and throw it a little bit um, to keep teams maybe a little bit more honest than in the past. So that's the um, wait and see when it comes to the quarterback and when it comes to Dalen Morris. But, um, yeah, they're, they're expecting Diego and the defense to be up front leading the way, especially early in the season. So going back and reading the stories that were written at the end of the season, Perry Olson, the sophomore, was supposed to be the quarterback. And the stories that would be written in what in a normal year would be the end of spring ball. That was still kind of the timing. But now Morris has beaten out Olson. Maybe you can't answer this because you're not seeing practice. But did Morris play really well and win the job? Or did Olson have a bunch of problems and they got to go with Morris because he's the safer pick and they just can't trust Olson? Did Olson give it away? 
Um, like you said, yeah, I haven't seen it for myself, but according to coaches, um, Morris just wowed everybody. They said that just every single day he was just out there, and, they, and you know, they had their little side conversations, like, who's catching your eye? Man, Morris was playing really well. And, and it seemed like they just kept having that conversation day after day after day. And eventually they looked at each other and said, hey, he's played his way into the starting job. I don't think it was um, – they haven't said that, at least out loud, that, that um, Olsen had struggled. It was more of Dylan Morris just kept surprising us day after day after day and making plays and, and just clearly being the t- top quarterback out there. So uh, they were. It, it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, for them also, but um, it was definitely a, a situation where he went out there and grabbed it because he was just, again, every single day it was like – or again, I, I say every single day as if I saw it. <laughs> so this, this is reports from the coaching staff, but it, it just seemed like every single day that they said, "Man, he had another good one. He had another good one." He just kind of kept stacking them and stacking them, and was the most consistent of all the guys. And finally, they just had to say, "Hey, you know, he's the starter. He outplayed everybody." I'm wondering with that intricate option system, how much of it, he didn't have on-the-field experience, but how much of it was knowledge of how to run the offense when he finally got his chance because even though he wasn't playing, he was still there, and maybe he just learned more and has a better grasp of it. That's what I was going to say. He was, you know, he's, he's a senior. This is his fourth year, so he's been here the whole time running the system, so it's not foreign to him. Um, all of this is not new. The, the new part is going to be actually being under the light. But, you know, he's, he's, if you, um, you would hope, you know, if you've got a quarterback or you, you would hope if you've got anybody on campus um, running your system for four years, that by the time that they're by the time they're a senior, whether or not they're playing and whether or not there's um, you know just people that are athletically better than them, you would hope that they at least know the system like the back of their hand. Because hey, what is what has he been doing for four years? So I, I, I think that was um, I don't think there was a concern of whether he could run it. Um, it was just a matter of who runs it better, and it seems like. Um, Feels like he's been running it really well, and the fact that he can add a little bit of a passing dynamic probably sets him a little bit apart. But uh, yeah, it's it's not foreign. This is not a this is not a transfer in. This is not a guy who, cause like you said, this is a intricate system with a lot of timing and and a lot of nuance. And um, and this is not a really a that strange of a situation for um, Navy. They've, they've had this quite a few times um, over the history and over the last 20 years of a, of a quarterback, you know, starting, uh, you know, winning, not playing their first three years and starting the job as a senior. Sometimes it's almost looked at like um, it, it might take uh, several years to really master that offense. But, yeah, this is, this is not new to him by any means whatsoever. Kareem Copeland, Washington Post reporter covering the Naval Academy, joining us. So, do they? Does Navy have any uh, running backs? Just really punishing type guys? Maybe not the speed, because if they had speed, they might be somewhere else because they'd be dreaming about the NFL. But I'm thinking someone who breaks tackles and a year when there can't be as much tackling, yeah, that could be a huge advantage. Do they have a tough guy running back? Um, well, they've got a couple fullbacks that you would kind of expect to do that. I'm really hard to say to me, just, you know, again, we keep talking about having not been out there and, and witnessing it, 
um, the two fullbacks to be a little bit more physical, you know, because the three guys that you're going to see mostly are going to be C.J. Williams, Miles Sells, quarterback David Morris, like we were just talking about. Uh, but fullbacks, Jamal Brothers and Nelson Smith, uh, those are the two, um, I guess, bigger running backs that you'll um, that, that are going to be out there getting carries. Um, again, we'll, we'll just kind of have to see because you know uh, I'm fully expecting BYU to have size on them. So um, sometimes um, you look you, you look a little bit more bruising against some programs than others. And so I'm curious to see uh, how they match up against um, against BYU and BYU's size. But that those are those are the two that if you're talking about who's going to be running the trenches, who's going to you know um, you know try to be a little bit more physical, try to try to you know get those two yards on on third and two. Uh, those those would probably be the guys that you that you see just kind of um, um, running more more physically uh, for sure. Those two. Uh, Carruthers and Smith at fullback. All right, Kareem, we know you got to run and interview a legend. Patrick <laughs> hey, I, Ewing. I got Patrick Ewing in 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, you go get that done. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys and see uh, whoever's coming out on Monday. Okay. I think that may be nobody, but we'll have to see. Do you know anybody who's traveling yeah, with this, PK? True. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, right? It's yeah, a, I talked to Jay Drew. Jay Drew's going. Here this year, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Look for Jay Drew, Deseret News. All right, will do. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. Okay. I hope everything's going well. Be safe and healthy. There's Kareem Copeland, Washington Post, talking Navy and BYU tonight. PK and I with What is Trending next.